Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Previously On, a podcast series created to help you through some of the most complex yet brilliant television ever made. Peaky Blinders Season 4 We open upon three nooses all in a row. Michael, Arthur and John are dragged from their cells. Polly too is led from her prison to a single noose at the gallows. Elsewhere, a barrister, Edward Roberts, rushes along wooden-walled corridors carrying paperwork. He bursts into a room and declares to an important-looking man named Arthur Big, a literal Mr Big, if you will, that he has documents suggesting the Shelby family were pawns of a much larger conspiracy and that Churchill himself is named within the documents. Roberts then presents a personal letter written by King George and stolen by Thomas. This document proves the King's involvement. Big picks up the phone and demands to speak to the King. At the gallows, the four have nooses around their necks preparing for death. Arthur and John adopt calm resignation. Michael is wide-eyed and terrified, whilst Polly offers a whispered prayer. With the hangman's hand upon the lever, a last-second reprieve arrives. The family, and probably the TV viewers, exhale as one. In return for save from the king, Thomas vows to burn the incriminating letters, but asks that he is named to the New Year's honours list as an extra little icing on the cake. We jump forward one year to the 23rd of December, 1925. Thomas, looking rather dapper in bowler hat and spectacles, the glasses a result of his fractured skull last season, enters a grand city building. Inside is served a drink by a waiter who obviously knows him quite well. Lizzie arrives, declaring she's wrapped all of Charles's, Thomas's son's, Christmas presents. Thomas asks her what he got him. The two get into a small argument over Thomas's continued choice to ignore his family. Lizzie points out he's never even seen Arthur or John's children. Thomas says he's bought Charles a real horse, not a toy. Later, we see Thomas pay a prostitute after sex. At his office, he's met by Michael, seemingly the only member of the family he still speaks to. Michael was snorting cocaine, obviously changing his rule not to partake. He tells Thomas he sniffs the stuff to keep him awake because when he sleeps, he sees the gallows and adds that Polly's become dependent on tablets, saying just before she expected to hang, she saw spirits and now run seances, but most of people come just a robber. Before Michael leaves, Thomas orders him to find out about Jesse Eden, the female shop steward, and stay off the cocaine at work. We see a dishevelled, spacey Polly at home alone, conversing with spirits and knocking back tablets. Ada pays John a visit with presents for Christmas. Things take a downward turn when Esme accuses Ada of being Thomas's little pet. We cut to Arthur's house. 
He seems content, his hair longer to his shoulders, a young son, Billy, and chickens in the garden. A call comes through that Ada's coming over. At the factory, Thomas meets with Jesse Eden. He disperses with any pleasantries to dig straight into the argument over fair pay. Jesse knows her stuff and takes no time letting him know that. She says there's a ten-shilling disparity between men and women doing the same job in his factory. Thomas declares he'll raise the women's pay by five shillings and cut the men's by the same amount to achieve her parity and he'll tell them whose idea it was. She threatens to take the workers out on strike and leaves. Back home, the maid delivers Thomas's post. One letter contains a Christmas card bearing a black hand symbol. It's from Luca Changretta, the Peaky Blinders and the Changretta's clash last season, remember, resulting in the deaths of Grace Angel Changretta and his father Vicente. Luca is Vicente's eldest son. Thomas is visibly troubled by the card. At Arthur's home, Ada catches up with her brother and his wife Linda when the phone rings. It's John telling him about the card from Luca Changretta and its serious Sicilian mafia stuff. Arthur checks his post. Unsurprisingly, he too has been served a black hand. Ada leaves a gun for her brother due to Linda not allowing weapons in the house. When she leaves, a suspicious Linda asks who was on the phone. At Liverpool docks, a number of Italian, let's say mafia-looking types, arrive in England. When asked about the purpose of the visit, with a smile, one replies, Pleasure. That was an Italian accent. Elsewhere, Polly and Michael argue about his continued connection to Thomas and their continued use of pills. Thomas and his son Charles leave goodies for Santa on Christmas Eve. As his son heads to bed, Thomas is disturbed by an approaching car and grabs a gun, relieved when it's Ada that pops out. He goes straight into his concerns over the black hand. He's expecting around ten Mafia hitmen and decides to call a family meeting for Boxing Day at Charlie's Yard back in Small Heath, a place he believes the Italians will be wary of hitting. Ada asks if she'll be on the list, worried that she's given her gun to Arthur, so Thomas gives her one of his. At his home, John walks in on Esme, weighed down with all manner of guns to defend the house. Later, as they both sleep, he misses a call from Thomas. Thomas calls Arthur. He tells him to get to Charlie's yard on Boxing Day for the meeting and hangs up. At Polly's, Michael's flushed her pills, causing her to panic. She begins to hyperventilate and hits him as he attempts to calm her down. They're interrupted by Ada, who explains about the black hand being served. Polly opens a post and, yep, there's hers. As Ada breaks the news and Ada tells them about Thomas's meeting. That night at his own home, Thomas is interrupted by the maid who declares the chef is asking some questions about who will be at Christmas dinner and what time they'll arrive. It transpires he is Italian. Hmm. The maid says he's a great chef, but his assistant is a problem. Thomas hears they're still working. He heads to the kitchen, introducing himself to the sous chef Antonio and asks why he's only peeling potatoes. Thomas finds the head chef in another room chopping meat. He asks questions about Antonio and then mentions Sabini, but the chef says he's never met him. Thomas grabs the chef and the man admits he was told to bring Antonio over, but didn't know why. Thomas tells him to call Antonio in and arms himself with a meat hook. As he enters the room, Thomas sinks the meat hook into Antonio's chest, then pulls a gun and demands to know how many others are coming from New York. When Antonio speaks Italian, Thomas kills him with a bullet to the head. He tells the other chef to inform Sabini he picked the wrong side and once the Americans are dealt with, he's next. Johnny Dogs comes and disposes of the body and in the morning he calls Michael and tells him to get everyone out as the Mafia are on their way. Michael drives to John's home who meets him with a loaded rifle. He says they've all got to go to Charlie's yard now but John's not convinced that it's Christmas Day. Esme's furious and says they can look after themselves. On the nearby road a horse and cart stops and Mafia men spring the attack. Bullets fly. 
John's rifle's no match for the Mafia's Tommy guns, and he takes bullets to the body and falls. Michael, too, is hit and drops. We begin in the aftermath of the attack on John's house. We flash back, seeing Esme weep over John's dead body. She screams. Michael's wheeled bleeding through a hospital with a frantic Polly and Thomas. Thomas leaves, informing Polly he's going to get soldiers. Arthur's at the morgue. Thomas joins him. They approach John's body with Arthur struggling to contain his emotions and temper. Esme runs in screaming at Thomas, but he holds and comforts her. She asks to be left with her husband. She removes John's jewellery and states she's taking the children on the road with decent people. In the present, Thomas has called a meeting. He tells them Esme's left with the kids. Michael's badly wounded with a 60-40 in his favour chance of survival and that the shooting was an act of revenge for the killing of Vicente Changretta. Men have arrived from New York and Sicily and won't leave until their family is dead. Arthur holds a bullet with the name Lucas scratched into its surface, vowing to put that bullet into his head. Thomas mentions the bad blood between the family, causing sarcastic laughter from Polly. He says they all stick together until this is over and he'll call in extra men from a man named Abiram and Gold. Johnny Dogs complains, saying that his men are savages, heathens and thieves. Polly mocks the plan, but is told the Peaky Blinders will go on the attack and Moss is out looking for the Mafia crew. Thomas says the war between themselves must end today. Everyone agrees except Polly, who calls a truce rather than peace. At Charlie's yard, Blinders men unload cases of guns and ammo, arming themselves ahead of the upcoming war. There's a big send-off for John. Thomas makes a speech reminding them of a war story where men awaiting death sang the song in the bleak midwinter that every day since that was seen as extra. And when death eventually came, they would remember that moment. Nearby, two Mafia men watch and close in armed for attack. Arthur lights the pyre as the two Italians ready weapons. One man gets Thomas in his sights, but before he can shoot, he's grabbed from behind and stabbed to death. The second man's gunned down. Into the ceremony rides Aberama Gold and his men. Polly's angry that Thomas used John's fire as a trap and them all as bait, but Thomas tells her this is how it is now. Linda attempts to leave for her home in the country, but is stopped by Ada, who gives her the key to a house in Birmingham. At the hospital, Polly visits Michael, having to wake the two men supposed to be on guard duty. To her surprise, Michael greets his mother. He's told he took four bullets in the attack. Polly tells him they're going to get away, just the two of them, to Australia. Michael asks her to tell Thomas he needs to see him and tell him to bring a gun in case they come for him there. He says she has to get better quicker than he does for the sake of Thomas. Aberama asks Charlie how much he wants for his yard. He's told it's not for sale. He then asks Thomas how much but gets the same answer. He reveals he's now made the yard a part of the deal. Thomas calls Charlie over telling him they've got to spin a coin for the yard. If it's heads, Aberama gets the yard. If it's tails, Thomas gets to bed Aberama's eldest daughter. Abarama declines the toss and looks far from happy about it, stating he will buy a flower for Thomas's grave with a penny once the time comes. As food and drink flow at the yard, Thomas approaches Polly. They talk business, and he admits he needs her back, then angrily says his mother went the same way she's going, spirits and tablets and all that. Polly declares she's learned that when you are dead already you are free, but she will help him for Michael, and says Abarama wants more than just money for his services. Thomas meets with him in the stables. He finds out what Abarama actually wants alongside the cash is to help his son achieve his ambition of becoming a champion boxer. No one was expecting that. That night, Moss comes looking for Thomas but only finds Linda. He leaves a message that intelligence in London have sent men to Birmingham with specific interest in Ada, who it's thought had returned from New York to start a communist revolution. At the yard, May Carleton arrives to pick up Thomas's horse for training. 
Curly lets slip the Mafia are trying to kill everyone. At the factory, Thomas puts a quick boxing ring together and finds one of his workers, Billy Mills, a former local heavyweight champion, and gives him orders to fight Abarama's son, Bonnie. Despite the obvious weight difference, Billy agrees. Once in the ring, Bonnie shows his skills, easily avoiding Billy's attacks before knocking him clean out. Thomas and Arthur are impressed, seeing a possibility to make a few quid. Thomas has to nip off to meet Jesse Eden, who declares the cut of five shillings from the men's wages robbery. Thomas tells her to call the strike, calling her bluff at the same time. She mentions that people are not as afraid to strike as he might think, questioning whether he actually wants to bring trouble. He admits that striking chaos at this time might not be such a bad thing for his family and tells her to blow the whistle and call it. She does. The workers down tools and leave. Thomas asks about his next meeting and is introduced to a man said to be from Paris in town to discuss the export of car parts. We see one of the Italians from the docks enter the room. Thomas begins to question the man who plays it very cool. Thomas lets it be known he's aware he's talking to Luca Cangretta. Luca tells him he's surprised how easy it was to get into a room with him, but Thomas pulls a gun. Luca still stays cool, telling him that as they watched the fight earlier, his accomplice snuck in, found his gun and unloaded it. He places the bullet on the table, attaching a Shelby name to each as he does. He stands, declaring none of them are going to survive, and that he wants Thomas to be the last, so he has to watch his entire family die. It's agreed that no civilians or children will be harmed in their fight. Noble. We begin at the factory. A clamour of men desperate for work push and shove, waiting for Arthur to allow them in with the usual workforce out on strike. A shout of dirty scabs rings through, and a petrol bomb ignites. The man who threw it is dragged in and beaten by Arthur. Once inside, the new men are told they're under the protection of the Peaky Blinders. In the hospital, Michael's told his mother's here to see him, and is surprised when it's his adoptive mum. She reminisces about the old times and gives him a hug. He's then offered a welcome back any time he wants, and is told his little brother really misses him and his father's died. When she hears Thomas is due, she legs it. At her home, Polly's picked up by Ada along with Aisha and two of the Lee clan. She stows a pistol and follows. She asks Polly to behave herself ahead of a meeting, sparking Polly's temper. She reminds her that whilst in the employ of Shelby Co., she's killed a man, lost a man, found a son, nearly lost a son, and almost lost her own life. So she'll definitely not be behaving herself, and who could blame her, actually? As Arthur prepares to make his own way to the meeting, he's stopped by Linda. She pulls the blinds on his office and reveals under a coat she's wearing little else. They have a quick <whistles> and Arthur's late for the meeting. The meeting's underway, minus one, at the hospital to allow Michael to attend. Thomas welcomes Polly back to the company with a substantial pay rise. Ada's told she fills Michael's role until he's well. With all the legitimate stuff out of the way, Thomas prepares to talk real business, but questions where Arthur is. We cut back to Arthur getting down to his own little business in the office with Linda. They're interrupted by word that there's something of a kickoff underway in the paint shop with the threat that arson could be on the cards. Reluctantly, Arthur zips up and heads over there. At the hospital, Thomas proceeds without his brother. Having found old wedding photos of the Changretta family, the image of Luca is shared and it's thought that many of the other men in the image are now likely also part of his crew. Photos are to be posted throughout the city with a reward for information. They also decide to pass a copy to Abarama, going against long-held tradition that the one with the named bullet, namely Arthur, to be the one to carry out the kill. Arthur heads to the paint shop armed with a hammer. He finds men chucking paint around and makes most of them scarper, but one foolish man throws a can of red paint over him. Arthur beats him, sending him running. Footsteps approach. 
Two Mafia men armed with guns walk in and open fire. Arthur flees, but they give chase. He hides in the shadows, takes one out with a hammer to the jaw, steals the gun and shoots the other dead. When the first man tries to crawl away, Arthur grabs him and gruesomely drowns him in a vat of paint. Finally, he disposes of the bodies in a furnace. Luke is met in his office by two of his men. They break the news that Arthur survived, but the two Mafia men didn't. One complains about the British food, firing Luca's anger, who then force-feeds that man some scones. The second man, likely finding a whole new appreciation of scones, informs Luca the Shelbys have enemies, highlighting in particular the woman whose son was killed in the boxing ring by Arthur. She's told them if she was to invite one of the Shelby boys to her house, that they'd come. Thomas is looking for Arthur and finds him in the office. Arthur breaks the news he's just killed two Italians who came for him and then kicks off about the news Aberama as permission to kill Luca should the opportunity arise. Before he leaves, Arthur says the Italians walked in through the back door that was supposed to be locked, meaning that someone has betrayed them. Returning home, Arthur asks Linda how Polly is, saying he knows it was her idea to seduce him at the office to keep him from the meeting and miss his vote. He makes a point of loading the bullet with Luca's name into his gun. Linda tells him to fire into the fireplace to get rid of it. Instead, Arthur grabs her by the throat, declaring the rule says he has to carry out the kill. Thomas pulls a member of his staff, a guy called Niall Devlin, who he suspects has been betraying them. He finds a one-way ticket to Glasgow and knows the man's wife and kids have already left. He asks him, was it fear of the Italians that made him unlock the door? But the man instead insists he's innocent. He admits he foolishly left his keys in the office when the factory was under threat of fire, though. He then reveals word that two Italians have attended a Communist Party meeting and may have recruited a man from there to unlock the door. He begs to be allowed to leave for Glasgow to be reunited with his family, but Thomas tells him he's needed there. Jesse Eden is paid an unexpected visit by Thomas. He states he's there to make an improved offer and presents with a Changretta wedding photo, asking does she recognise anyone from the Communist Party meeting? Jesse surprises him by revealing something from his past, a former relationship from before the war with a woman named Greta Girossi. She died from consumption at the age of 19, and Jesse says Greta's sister Kitty told her Thomas stayed at her bedside until he went to war. She then drops the bombshell that Kitty also said Thomas joined the Communist Party before the conflict. He returns that he's also done his research, saying Jesse's sweetheart blew his own brains out after the war. She tells him she doesn't recognise anyone in the photo, but presents him with a picture of himself and Greta. The next morning, Arthur's in the yard with a gun. The gunshot brings Thomas running, but Linda informs him Arthur fired the Luca bullet to free himself. Polly enters the Shelby house and tells Lizzie, in no uncertain terms, that she's back and will be running things from now on. Linda walks in, also prepared to work, as Arthur and Thomas have given it the OK. Finn strides it with the news that in Arthur's absence, he's in charge. Lizzie meets Thomas and says Polly and the girls are making Finn's day as a boss a living nightmare, and having found out he's a virgin, have arranged a prostitute for him. Later, Thomas and Lizzie wait alongside the canal. He talks about Greta and how he used to meet her there, saying he wanted to bring Lizzie to the same place. They kiss and have sex, and afterwards Thomas says Shelby Co. should increase charitable contributions going forward and build two new institutes for destitute children, and then places Lizzie in charge of the project. He says he's doing it because he promised someone he would change the world. Later, Thomas asks Finn about his day, then lets on he knows about the prostitute, but is told his brother doesn't ever want it like that again. He tells Thomas he apologised because the woman looks so tired and he's told that he needs to be a bit more brutal if he wants to fill the space left by John. At a posh club, Polly is met by Luca. She tells him Michael is out of bounds and asks him to spare Finn and Arthur in exchange for giving him Thomas. Declaring he can trust her due to their history, she reminds him John and Arthur spared his mother when Thomas wanted her dead. Mm -hmm. 
We begin with a visit to Thomas from Mrs. Ross, the mother of the boy Arthur killed in the boxing ring. She delivers an invite to Arthur on what would have been her son's birthday as a gesture of thanks for the help from the Shelby family since that fateful day. Thomas says he'll pass it on. Mrs. Ross says midday, and it ought to be Arthur who attends rather than anyone else in the family. Not at all suspicious, eh? Thomas gathers the crew and lays a plan, having realised it's a setup. The men are armed with rifles and sent to cover each entrance to the location. When the signal's given, they're to open fire. Noon arrives, and so too does Arthur to Mrs. Ross's house, an elevated flat in a block of similar abodes. With her best poker face, she welcomes him warmly and then asks him to leave any weapons outside. Arthur says he's unarmed and lets her check. Once inside, she offers him some tea while they wait for the other guests. Outside, a car approaches and the Peaky Blinders prepare the ambush. A man emerges and lights a cigarette. Finn spies a well-dressed man crossing a nearby bridge. Inside the home, Mrs. Roska, Mrs. Ross asks if the rumours of Arthur finding Jesus are true. He tells her they are. She asks, does he believe he'll be forgiven of his sins? But he replies, that's out of his hands, and then reiterates her son's death was a sporting accident. Arthur asks why he's really there, pressing for an answer with a steely glare. Finn takes aim at the bridge where the three men now gather, then realises they're simply heading to a wedding. A young girl signals the car that pulled up, and to Thomas's surprise it reverses away. He gives the call to fire, but the shot misses the target and the car leaves as realisation dawns. The vehicle and the hit on Arthur was a decoy. In the hospital, Michael has the case containing his gun snatched by a nurse, and we see Luca putting a bullet in the head of a blinders man guarding him. Finn rushes to Arthur and breaks the news that the Italians aren't coming for him, but must instead be going for Michael. He pulls a gun from his hat and puts it under Mrs. Ross's chin. She pleads that she's got other kids, though, and he tells her if she's still there in one hour, he will cover her in tar and feathers. At the hospital, the injured Michael struggles as Luca walks in. He puts a gun to his head, pulls the trigger, and hears a click. He then walks away, leaving a message for Polly that they have a deal. The blinders reach the hospital and Michael lies that Luca's gun misfired and they ran when they heard them all arriving. Shortly after, Thomas gets word to Aberama that the Italians are on the road south in two cars, but they inflicted no casualties. On the road, Luca's car is stopped by an overturned cart on a bridge. A police officer tells him there's been an accident and they'll have to wait. Luca says they can move the blockage themselves, leaving the car, but on hearing it's a gypsy cart, he becomes suspicious and retreats back to the vehicle, telling his man to drive. However... The driver's already dead, his throat slit. Gunshots suddenly rain in on the Italians. They return fire, but two of them are killed. Luca climbs into the driver's seat, pushing the dead man aside as he reverses away. Before leaving, Abarama wings the policeman with a bullet. Back at the hospital, Michael angrily demands to know what deal Polly made. She says a deal to spare his life in exchange for Thomas. She tells her son they're out of their league, and if it wasn't for her, he'd already be dead. Thomas pays Abarama for the two dead mafia men, he suggests perhaps Thomas has spent too long pushing paper around, but Thomas insists Luca is his when they cross paths next. Thomas welcomes May to his office. She's named his new horse Dangerous, thinking he would approve. She admits that she thought the death of his brother and wife might make him different, but he remains unchanged. He tells her a train strike has been called and suggests she stay with him. Lizzie is highly unimpressed by the turn of events. Polly takes a call from Luca. He explains that at any time they can reach Michael, and if Thomas is not delivered, they will kill him. So Polly heads to see Lizzie to find out what Thomas's diary looks like for the rest of the week. Lizzie asks her to read her tea leaves. Polly finds out Thomas is free on Friday, looks at the tea leaves and says Lizzie's pregnant. At the boxing gym, Bonnie's trainer signs a form to declare him ready to fight, adding that in 30 years he's never seen a fighter like him. 
Thomas tells Bonnie he'll be champion of the world and that his first fight is against a boy known as Goliath. Later, Thomas shows May his new venture in making gin, stating he needs to get the recipe right and asking her opinion. She tells him he's unlike any other man she's ever met, but the gin is too sweet. They kiss. Arthur delivers Mrs. Ross's old home to Finn as his new pad. Now she's fled for fear of being tarred and feathered. Finn opens up about his worries he's not built the same as John, but Arthur reassures him, telling him it's all about flicking a switch inside. Elsewhere, Jesse Eden speaks passionately to a gathering of Communist Party members, including Ada. Afterward, Ada approaches, offering to buy her a drink and with a settlement proposition. She makes an offer of parity for women workers and to withdraw the male pay cut. In return, Thomas wants to sit and talk with Jesse. If she doesn't show up, the offer's withdrawn. The car pulls up and Alfie Solomon steps out. He's accompanied by an absolute giant of a lad. Thomas heads out to meet him and we find out the giant is Bonnie's opponent, aptly named Goliath. Alfie asks about the situation in Birmingham. He informs Thomas 11 Mafia men are in town. Thomas asks whose side he's on, but Alfie suggests it doesn't even matter. Thomas lets it be known that if the Italians finish him off, next they'll hit Sabini, then Alfie. They like what they see in England, and they're here to stay. Avarama walks in. Alfie talks up his man Goliath as an absolute monster, then asks if he'll be offering his son up for sacrifice. Bonnie says to name the day. In hospital, Thomas lets Michael know Polly's asked him to attend a prize-giving. Michael stops him leaving, and then seems to think again and wishes him a good weekend. Thomas drives away and is followed by a truck carrying heavily armed Mafia men, including Luca, as from the sidelines, Polly looks on. Thomas drives his car, followed from a distance by the Mafia-packed truck. Luca reminds them he'll be the one to take the final shot. The truck pulls up alongside Thomas's parked car and the armed Mafia men exit the vehicle. We see Thomas hurriedly walking with machine gun ammo along a balcony. He reaches the same serious gun stolen in season one, loads and sprays bullets down on his enemies. One's killed, the rest run for cover of the truck. Lucas steps out, returning fire from his Tommy gun. The others follow suit, forcing Thomas to duck under a hail of bullets. He makes a dash for a house behind him and grabs some stashed weapons as Luca and his boys close in. Luca comments that Polly lied to him. The Changretta man catches Thomas on a stairwell and shots are exchanged. The chase is on through lines of drying sheets that hang along the balconies. Doubling back, Thomas surprises the man and shoots him dead. He then enters the building, telling residents to get away from the windows. Lucas, surprised by a young boy, and demands to know which way Thomas went, handing the lad a coin for directions. The group then continue up the stairs in pursuit, and Thomas hits the open air and makes his way down a fire escape, wounding another Changretta man as he moves. Luca is advised to let him go for now but he refuses. On the streets, he witnesses Thomas put a bullet in the wounded man and steps into the road, gun blazing. Thomas returns fire and a standoff takes shape. He's offered a one-on-one -on -one duel. Thomas steps forward and the men lock eyes, but before either can get a shot away, the police storm in mob-handed, dragging and beating Thomas until Moss steps in as Luca and his crew escape. Moss is at the end of his tether and turns down cash from Thomas, declaring loudly that the rule of the law is returning and telling Thomas soldiers are coming. Back in the safety of the home, Polly and Thomas are together awaiting Arthur and the family. Arthur wants answers about the shooting. Thomas replies that the enemies are now down to eight men. Polly reveals she was offered a deal by Luca and she accepted having run it by Thomas first because they knew Luca would want to kill him himself. And although Luca walked away, Thomas still killed three. Later that evening, Lizzie breaks the news to Thomas that she's pregnant and the baby can only be his. He begins to talk about abortion but she says she's keeping it. She tells him they'll be okay, but he worries they're surrounded by so much death. 
He then leaves, telling her coldly she'll get an allowance every week from the company. A drunken Arthur enters the Shelby safe, grabs some cocaine and sits alone, snorting and drinking in the darkness. When he staggers out, he leaves the safe wide open. The next morning on a country road, Polly and Michael arrive by car to a gypsy campsite. He's unimpressed by his new digs, but is told to show respect by Bonnie. Polly says it won't be for long and he might even learn something and watches as he heads off deeper into the woods aboard a caravan. Polly drives away with Abarama. They stop en route to enjoy the fresh country air and the freedom of a gypsy life. Abarama catches a rabbit and they cook it together over an open fire as they talk. Polly flirts and calls him over to her, but as they prepare to kiss, she puts a knife to his throat, threatening him that should any harm come to Michael, she'll kill him. And then they get jiggy under the tree, as you do. We cut to Alfie Solomon's meeting with Luca Changretta. Luca introduces himself. Alfie being Alfie states he knows who he is and that he also knows he's a bit of a failure for not managing to kill Thomas. Despite testing his patience, Luca requests that Alfie places his Changretta boys at ringside as seconds. In return for assisting, Alfie wants substantial cash payment and to run his rum into New York. Luca's ready to do a deal, but Alfie mentions he's made the deal without negotiation, realising Thomas was right and they do plan to kill them all once they finish with the blinders. Aid is taken from a home by some military personnel and is met by Colonel Ben Younger. He tells us she was seen talking to Jesse Eden, but Ada states she was just settling an industrial dispute. The colonel tells us she's potentially a very useful asset to the army as she's got a foot in more than one camp and she should talk to her brother Thomas. Ada catches Thomas and asks him about the colonel and Thomas informs her younger approached him for assistance having been given Birmingham in order to stop a revolution. He reminds her that Jesse Eden is meeting him for dinner and that the military are interested in those around her. If he gains Jesse's trust, she gives him names and he passes them on. In exchange for this, he gets contracts valued at two million to supply vehicles to the military. At Charlie's yard, Charlie and Curly set a table for Thomas and Jesse Eden. Thomas lays the charm on thick as marmalade. He presents her with paperwork detailing the withdrawn wage cuts and parity between men and women. In return, he's keen to hear all Jesse knows about socialism, but makes it clear he also wants to know how strong and serious the people she knows are. She believes he's worried he'll find himself on the wrong side when the revolution comes, admitting she counts herself among those seeking a real fight and that she's not alone. As the evening progresses, the pair bond and laugh together. He pops a record on and they dance in each other's arms. Jesse asks if he'll help their cause. He kisses her. She kisses him. He says he will. It's fight night. Abarama reveals to Bonnie he'll get an extra 20% if he drops Goliath in the fourth. Arthur sits ringside, but Thomas heads backstage followed from the shadows by another man. The two fighters make their way to the ring for the big fight. Thomas sits backstage away from the noise and commotion. He hears footsteps and is joined by Alfie. Alfie reveals he's had a revelation having seen a beautiful house in Margate and made a decision to sell everything he has to buy himself some time. He tells Thomas he'll see him one day by the pier and leaves. In the ring, Goliath is getting the upper hand when Thomas returns. Arthur's worried about the people around them, but Thomas reassures him they're fine. In the ladies' room, Lizzie tells Ada she's pregnant with Thomas's child. Polly's asked to use her abilities to find out if it's a boy or a girl, saying she's having a girl and should call her Ruby. In his corner, Bonnie's told by Abarama to take the fight. Arthur, a boxer, is concerned by the men in Goliath's corner and their apparent lack of know-how. Thomas tells him it's the pills messing with his head. A man walks from Goliath's corner and, suspicious, Arthur follows. We see the man prepare a garrote in the dressing room as Arthur approaches. 
In the ring, Bonnie is dropped but gets back to his feet as a round in the betting intensifies. A second man leaves Goliath's corner and this time Thomas follows. Polly too gets up to investigate where the boys have gone. Arthur's attacked from behind and garroted. He struggles but falls lifeless to the floor. Thomas arrives and shoots the attacker dead. Walking from the scene, he bumps into Polly. Shell-shocked, they return to ringside as Bonnie celebrates a win. Thomas tells Lizzie Arthur's dead. Polly pulls Linda aside and we see her crumble in tears. Backstage, Finn and Aisha have the second man. Thomas pistol whips and beats him, then tells Finn to take the man's eyes. Finn removes his cap and obliges his brother. Thomas enters the ring, firing his gun into the air, shouting that his brother is dead. On the streets of Birmingham, a gypsy cart carries the body of Arthur Shelby. Inside the Shelby house, Polly speaks over the phone to Michael, telling him Abaramo will bring him to them. Michael arrives and hears a plan for him to go to New York has been put in place. His train leaves in an hour. That night, Thomas makes a call to America, but we don't hear who's on the other end of the line. At Arthur's gypsy funeral, Mrs. Changretta arrives carrying a white flag. Later, she says unless Thomas hands all business over to her family, Luca will kill them all. Luca arrives at Alfie's there to buy his business. Instead of Alfie, they find a wired hand grenade and conclude Alfie must have already left town. Luca declares on the basis of that, all of Alfie's businesses are now his. Lizzie bursts in on Thomas and Polly. She demands to know why Thomas never visits her. He explains they've been busy preparing for tomorrow. Luca is coming for their business, having already taken Alfie and Sabine's. Thomas says he's going to let him have it. Inside the gin distillery, Luca and his men meet with Thomas, Finn and Polly. He's amused by what remains of the Peaky Blinders, then presents papers drawn up by his lawyer for the handover of everything the Shelbys have. Luca drops a pen to the table, telling Thomas to sign the paper on his knees. Thomas stalls and Luca throws the table aside and demands he gets on his knees. As Thomas stoops, he tells him he had to find someone bigger than Luca is. He talks about families in Brooklyn who want to take what the Changrettas have, but can't risk starting a war in New York. However, should Luca die overseas in a vendetta against a bookmaker, they could take his business without risk. Polly then mentions they've also been talking to a businessman in Chicago, namely Al Capone, who is equally keen to see the Changretas fall. Thomas points to Luca's men, declaring they work for the highest bidder, and Luca realises he's on his own. Disturbed by the news and placed on the back foot, he goes for his gun, but Thomas knocks it from his hand and a fistfight ensues. As Thomas gets the upper hand and smashes Luca against the table, Arthur walks in. What? We flash back to the night he supposedly died. Thomas tells Polly Arthur is injured but is alright, however they need to convince people he's dead. Everyone but them and Linda should believe he's gone. Luca looks in stunned silence at Arthur as the presumed dead man raises a gun and kills him. Thomas tells the Mafia men to let Chicago know Michael will sign the important deal to New York for 300 barrels of gin a month. After the bloodshed and the bombshells, everyone gathers at Thomas's home to celebrate. Arthur makes a speech, saying he's made a decision to stay rather than go to America. Now all their enemies are gone and they finally have peace. He then proposes Thomas take a holiday and rest. We cut to Thomas on a beach in Margate. He finds Alfie Solomons. Thomas says he's no business reason to kill Alfie, but he does have bad blood reasons. Alfie appears willing to accept his fate. Thomas raises his gun as Alfie reveals he has cancer. Thomas prepares to kill him, demanding he look him in the eyes, but instead Alfie spins and fires a gun hidden in his pocket. As Thomas falls, he gets a shot off that cuts through Alfie's face, but both men hit the deck. Thomas gets back to his feet and approaches Alfie. We then see him walking away from the body. We jump forward three months. Thomas is on the golf course, but suddenly throws his club and walks away. 
We see him fishing, lost deep in thought, flashing back to the war. As a hunt passes nearby, he leaps for the water. He's a man lost in his own mind on a descent, gathering speed. Polly meets him, having been to a doctor. She says it might be nerves kicking in now he's resting with nothing else to occupy his mind. The next day, Thomas decides he's done enough resting and leaves the house. He arrives at the Shelby house, warmly welcomed by Arthur. He passes a note to Niall Devlin for Jesse Eden, then tells him he's free to join his family in Glasgow. Later, he tells Polly he's had an idea. We see Jesse reading the letter. Thomas requests to meet her, saying it's now time for a change. He kisses her and declares her course is now his course, and he wants to meet those who can take things further. Jesse gives him the name Casey Douglas, a contact with London and Moscow. We cut between scenes of Jesse and Thomas having sex and her making a call to Douglas. Later, Thomas meets Arthur Big, the man who called the king to save his family from the gallows in episode one, to confirm he's made contact with a Soviet agent in the Birmingham Communist Party, then suggests he could be of great use to Big. Thomas states with cover he could ensure the communists will never succeed. In return for his work, he puts a proposal on the table that has Big questioning if he's serious. We cut to a polling station. The Shelbys stroll in. Thomas's name is among the candidates up for election. At the count, we hear that Thomas has won a huge landslide victory. He leaves the building as the newest Labour Member of Parliament for Birmingham South. He walks down the stairs, accompanied by his family, arm in arm with Lizzie and cradling his new baby daughter. Thanks for listening. Hope it's been helpful. Listen, if you've enjoyed this, I would love it if you subscribed. We've got loads more shows where this came from and we'd love you to join us for them. A five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from would also be absolutely fantastic. If you've got any feedback or ideas for a show that we should be covering, we'll almost certainly be doing the big ones, but you never know, there may be others that we've missed. Let us know. I'd love to hear from you over on Twitter. You can find us at Previous Podcast or just email us hello at previouslyon.co.uk. Previously On is presented by Jamie East and is a Daft Doris production. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.